Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, if uh, you're in middle school, and uh, so 6th, 7th, and 8th, and you don't want to be bored listening to me, uh, back there in the back, uh, Sarah Jones is back there. She's waving her hand. If any of you middle school experienced kids, 6th, uh, 7th, 8th, uh, you can go back there and uh, hang out with them. Um, it won't be that boring, but uh, if you're like, yeah, I'd really like to... Uh, not be here, that's fine too. Um, well, hey, my name's Chris. We're so glad that you're here today. And uh, if you would, I'd like you to pull out this card. Uh, it's our Connect card. And if you could pull that out and uh, fill that out for us, uh, that would be great. Uh, you can just put uh, your name uh, on that and any other information. And uh, that would help us out greatly. And then at the end of our celebration, uh, we'll actually go ahead and we will uh, collect those uh, and we'll tell you that in a second. Well, hey, I just want to wish a happy Father's Day uh, to all of our fathers that are here. And so if you're a dad or a granddad or a great-granddad or you're a stepfather or a foster dad or you're a dad-to-be or you're a father-in-law, uh, if you could just stand real quick, we would like to uh, give a hand uh, to all of them, and let's let them know how much we appreciate them and uh, are grateful uh, to them. So uh, thank you, Dad, so much for uh, being there. Um, well, this week, uh, because of Father's Day, I went ahead and I looked up an article uh, that was called My Pops Tops. And basically, uh, they invited children to write in to a newspaper and to talk about uh, why they thought their uh, pop was the top. And so uh, one kid wrote this. My dad is willing to help with the housework, although he complains about it a little. Quite a bit, really. In fact, he hollers. Well, to tell you the truth, he won't do no housework anyway. Another kid wrote in, My pops tops. One time, my pop took me to Fence Lake and he threw me in to see if I could swim. I couldn't. My pop saved me. All right, here's the next one. My pops tops. I have five brothers and sisters... My pop knows where to get babies cheap. Okay, here's another one. My pop stops. My pop is a farmer. He smells like a cow, and when I come in the house and I smell a cow, I know my pop is there. That's it. Well, uh, dads, many of you are pop tops. You're a top pop. Uh, to us and to your kids, and we're so uh, glad to be able to honor this day with you. And so, uh, as a gift, when you leave, all dads, all men of the church, when you leave today, you'll get a uh, water bottle. And uh, the reason is, is because we know all of you are very buff. Well, some of you are buff. Well, some of you really aren't buff. But anyways, we don't want you to be dehydrated today. So when you leave, uh, you will get this. And let's uh, give a hand once again to all of our dads uh, for being here. 
You know, the reality is I used to be an expert in parenting, and then I had kids. And uh, I just want to say right at the beginning that I am not an expert at parenting. I am not an expert uh, at fathering. Uh, if you want some evidence on that, you can look at these two kids on the side screen. Uh, they will tell you. That's my oldest daughter, Jordan, and my youngest daughter, Shiloh. That was right before the daddy-daughter dance. We got our pictures. And uh, by no means uh, am I uh, a perfect parent, and they'll let you know that. But you know, one of the things that is true about Father's Day is that it comes every year, and with it comes different emotions. And for some of you, you're here today, and you had a great relationship with your dad, and your dad was amazing, you feel wonderful about that. For others of you, the truth is right now that your relationship with your dad, either at one time or today, was very strained, and there are some unresolved issues that you're dealing with. Today, for some people, it's so hard to even come to church. That's why I always know Father's Day sometimes and Mother's Day are, are tough for people to come because their parent has died, and so um, they're experiencing that loss. And some of you are here today, and you don't even have much of a relationship or any relationship with your dad at all. And so while I was thinking about what could I talk about that would both encourage the fathers and also be able to help all of us in our relationship with our own dads where we're at today, uh, I started thinking about what could we talk about. And there's a character in the Bible, in the first half of the Bible, a guy by the name of Abraham. And Abraham was not a perfect dad. His story is in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we're going to look at his story today. Now, my hope is, is that as we leave, we'll realize that, hey, Abraham was not a perfect dad. And so that must mean that if he was a, a person of great faith, that I don't have to be a perfect dad either. And the thing about his story is that he didn't even have a dad who actually poured into his life. He was uh, kind of absent of that. So what I'd like to do today is to talk about some takeaways from Abraham's life. And in particular, what I'd like to talk about is the power that a dad needs. And here's the first fill-in. And you can put this in your program or uh, also uh, on our app, the JAR app. And here it is. The power to overcome your family of origin. The power to overcome your family of origin. What power does a dad need? A dad needs the power to overcome his family of origin. Now, all of us in this gym today, we come from different families. We come from uh, different backgrounds. And uh, there is no such thing as a perfect family uh, around. Now, many dads that I've talked to recently, they grew up in homes in which actually they didn't have a dad who poured into their life. They didn't pour uh, faith or hope or love into their life. And so sometimes they say, hey, you know, the biggest struggle for me, Chris, is that I, I didn't get my life poured into. And so sometimes it's really hard for me then to actually pour into the life of my kids. And so that's their struggle. Some of you uh, lost your dad at a very young age. Uh, your dad died uh, in formative years, and uh, 
you know, you just didn't have that influence in your life. Some of you grew up in single mom homes where mom was there all the time, but dad was kind of shaky and you didn't get a chance uh, to kind of uh, be around him very much. Others of you were passed around in foster homes, and so you had multiple different males, but there was never a father. Maybe your dad had some hang-ups or some issues, or there was an addiction that he struggled with. And you're filled, uh, you, you were never poured into, your, your cup was not filled up, and you failed to have someone do that. And so now, you're sitting there today, and you're wondering, well, how do I do this to my own kids? I mean, if I did not have my life poured into, or grandkids, how do I do that? And it's kind of like uh, this cup right here. It's empty. There's nothing in it. Nothing has been poured into it. And that's your life. And now you have a child and you want to pour something into their lives. You really do. But the reality is there's nothing that you were given to pour into them. Now, many times... Uh, when we think of this guy named Abraham, we think of a big person of faith. Because if you think about it, it's from Abraham that the Muslim faith looks at as the father. It's the Jewish kind of father of that faith. And then, obviously, Christ followers uh, experience that as well. And so when we think of Abraham, we think, well, he must have had a dad because he's such a person of faith and all these religions kind of follow uh, his experiences, his spiritual path. It's a part of their story that he must have had a dad who really poured into his life. And the reality is he didn't. That's not his story at all. Now, we don't know a lot about Abraham's father, but what we do know about him is very revealing. And so in Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 2, we're going to look at uh, kind of his back story, of Abraham's back story. And this is what it reads. Joshua is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, and this is what it says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, lived beyond the Euphrates rivers, and then notice this phrase, and worshipped other gods. In other words, Terah did not worship the one true God. He was not a follower of the one true God. He worshipped idols. He worshipped multiple gods. And more than likely in the culture at this time, he would have worshipped the moon God. Folks, Abraham didn't learn how to love God from his father. Abraham, spiritually speaking, when he comes into the world, he comes with a dad who doesn't actually pour into his life. He comes with an empty cup before he comes onto the story of he and Isaac that we'll look at today. Now, I have a feeling that many of you can relate to Abraham's story. The reality is you didn't have a dad that poured into your life very much. And so when you think about it, you think to yourself, hey, you know what, I really wish I would have had 
a dad who we could have gone fishing together. Or I wish we, I would have had a dad who shot baskets in the driveway. Or I wish I had a dad who would have made a model with me in the garage. Or I wish I would have had a dad who would have been able to ride bikes with me or something else. Some of you wish you would have had a dad that, you know, actually wrestled with you a little bit or maybe, you know, threw you into the pool or would give you a big bear hug every once in a while. You wish that you would have seen your dad one time uh, actually open up God's Word and open it up and read it. You wish that he, you would have seen him actually maybe kneel and pray. You wish that he would have actually been a person that would have brought you to church and been a part of that. But folks, maybe you didn't have that in your family of origin. You didn't have a father who poured faith and hope and love into your life. And this is what I want to tell you today. Abraham didn't either. Abraham did not have a father who did that for him. And yet, the very first place that we see Abraham in Scripture, what we notice is that he has placed the one true God first in his life. Now, uh, let me give you a little bit of his story. He was actually born in the city of Ur. Of Ur. So I'd like you to turn to the person beside you, and I'd like you to spell his place of birth, okay? The, the place is called Ur. So go ahead, spell that real quick. Okay. Uh, if you did not spell it U-R, you need help. And so come, and I can help you with spelling, okay? But that's where he's from. He's from Ur. Now, just imagine, if you would, that you're from Ur, and someone comes up to you and they say, hey, where do you live? And you go, Ur. And then all of a sudden they come back and they're like, no, 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 I mean, like, I don't know if I heard you right. Where do you live? And you're like, Ur. They're like, did I say something to offend you or something? Where, where are you from? Ur. You know, I mean, I mean, like, that's what he had to deal with. And so he grows up in this place called Ur, and he's a very successful person. He's very wealthy. He has tons of cattle. He has tons of sheep. He has gold. He has all kinds of real estate, and he's a powerful man. And the one true God comes to him one day and says, I want you to leave everything that you have here, and I'm going to take you to a land that you do not know, and you are going to have so many descendants, there'll be as many as the stars in the sky. And the only problem was, is that Abraham was very old. And he didn't have any children yet. And now he was going to go to a place that he did not know. But in spite of his past, in spite of the fact that he had a non-believing father, he believed that he could trust in the one true God and that God would do exactly what God said he would do. And so he takes God's hand and they go together into this new land to overcome his family of origin issues. 
Now let me ask you this morning. What happens in your life when you're cruising along in life and everything is going well, when all of a sudden you get a stirring in your own spirit? Maybe you've drifted away from God, you haven't had much connection with God, but now all of a sudden you get this stirring and you think, you know, I should give some attention to God. And so maybe you start reading your Bible or you actually start coming to church and you do that for a while. And all of a sudden, many times for people, it happens once they start having children or they see their children act up and they're like, whoa, maybe this God piece, maybe that's something that I should instill within my kids, that I need to live a life of God and maybe I could leave a legacy of faith and hope and love. And the reality is you want to give it to them even though it wasn't poured into your own life. And for some people, this happens when they've made some huge mistakes in their life and they hit rock bottom and all of a sudden they're like, I want to get my life together. For some people, it's when they've topped off. They're like, they've done everything extremely well. They've been successful. Everything is going well. And they think to themselves, is this all there is or is there something more? Is there something that God wants to bless? All these blessings, is there a purpose that he wants me to use these for? So we get this stirring in our spirit, and when that happens, you can do one of two things. Either one, you can receive God's love in your life, or you can reject it. You can receive His forgiveness in your life, or you can reject that gift. And you see what is happening is that you begin to start sensing something with God in your life, and God comes And he says, hey, I've got living water for you. Living water that comes from my son. And I can pour my love into your life. And some people will say, okay, God, go ahead and do that. And it starts coming and it starts coming. But pretty soon they're like, nope, no, nope. I don't think I'm good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I don't want to really make any changes in my life. And they reject it or they walk away from it. And then all of a sudden they're like, no, God, I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. And they walk away. And God's still here. God's like, hey, 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 I got living water, though. I got living water for you that I can pour into your life, that I can pour into your life. I know your dad didn't pour into yours, but I could do that for you. I really could. And I'll wait until you're ready to receive that. You know, uh, I've been very blessed by having an amazing dad uh, in my life. And he's always been very encouraging. He's built me up. He's had a a real sense of uh, showing me uh, faith and hope and love. And some of you might say right now, well, I, I get where that's from. I bet his dad was like that, right? Like, His dad, your grandfather, was a man of faith and a godly man, and so then your dad was, and so then it passed on to you, and now you're passing it on to your kids. And the reality is, that's not my dad's experience. My grandpa Bunch never made a commitment to Christ until his deathbed when my dad got him in the last moment of his life to accept Christ. He lived his entire life working. 
He worked at Foster Forbes, a glass factory, and that's what he did. He worked and worked and worked and worked. He drank a lot. He never took my dad to church. I was talking to my dad uh, last week uh, during our vacation. I was like, hey, uh, Grandpa. He's like, well, he always wanted us to go, but he never went. And he said, I never had that kind of experience. You see, folks, my dad had family of origin issues in his life. And you might ask, well, how did your dad get past it? Well, he experienced God in his life because he finally decided he would do something different about it. And he experienced God in his own life and he overcame the family of origin issues. Folks, whether your dad was not a person who poured into you and you had family of origin issues or he's dead, this is what I want you to know today. And you can write this down and look it up later on this week. But Psalm 68.5, Psalm 68.5 says this, that God is a father to the fatherless. That God wants to be your father. And for some of you, the thing that is holding you back from having a father is you've never opened yourself up to say, God, I want you in my life. I want you to be the father of my life. For you to remake me, to remold me, to reparent me. I wasn't poured into from my own dad, but God, I'm asking you now to be my father. And by faith, you could open yourself up to a relationship with the God who knows you best and the Father who loves you most. And you could do that. For my dad, it started with him just opening up this book and he would read it. And God spoke to him through his words and then all of a sudden he would communicate through God in prayer. And he made it a point that he would go to church and he would walk to church and be a part of that. And for some of you, You could say that today. I'm going to make scripture reading, even if it's just five minutes a day, a part of my day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be a part of a small group. The men's small group meets on Wednesdays at 630. And you could be a part of that. You could come and you could be a part of that. And you could also be a part of a small group or a women's group or multiple groups. But let some people actually build into Your life. You see, folks, the story of Abraham is the story of a man of faith who experienced the power of God in his life and then he was able to overcome his family of origin issues. And when I look out at this crowd and I know some of your stories and I know some of your faces, this is your story. You didn't necessarily have a dad that poured into your life, but you said, you know what? I'm going to change that around. I'm going to know as much about God as I can. I'm going to allow him to pour into my life so I can pour into my kid's life. I didn't have it poured into my life, but I will pour it into theirs. So that's our first take home. You can have power to overcome that. Here's the second thing. The takeaway for Abraham, it's the power that dads need is the power to move past mistakes. The power to actually move 
past our mistakes. Now, I shared earlier that Abraham was a great man of faith. He had tons of faith. But he was not a perfect dad. He wasn't a perfect man. And there are a couple of things that are interesting that if you're writing about Abraham, you would think that maybe you would just not put these in. But the Bible is very clear of showing all of our humanity, and so the Bible doesn't worry about that. But there's two big mistakes that he makes. First of all, Abraham is a liar. Abraham is a liar. One time, he takes his wife, Sarah, and they go to Egypt, and they get to Egypt, and all of a sudden, they look and they see that there are these big Egyptians that are a lot bigger than him. And he gets a little intimidated by this, and he thinks to himself, hey, my wife's a hottie, and all of these guys are bigger than me. Maybe if they know that she's my wife, they'll kill me, and they'll take her. But in the culture, the one thing that you wouldn't do is if it was your sister, another culture would never do anything to a person's sister. And so he comes up and he's like, hey, this isn't my wife, this is my sister, Sarah. And he lies. He lied about it. Isn't it amazing that in one time in your life you can be full of faith? And you can be like, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, sin comes in your life, something changes, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm afraid I don't have any faith at all. I have tons of faith for this, God. Where do you want me to go? And sin comes into your life and you become afraid and you don't do anything. That's the story of my life. Full of faith one time and then all of a sudden I get afraid, I get fearful. It leads me to sin. And I don't have faith. You see, Abraham was not above twisting the truth if it was to his benefit. And some people who are here today may be the same way. I'll twist it a little bit to make it right. And yet, God said, I made a promise and I'm going to protect you. And he did. Now, the second mistake that took place was God promised Abraham and Sarah many descendants. And they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. They waited decade upon decade and there's no descendants. So finally, Abraham has enough. He's like, God, I don't think you're going to do this. And when Sarah couldn't conceive, Abraham becomes impatient and he commits adultery with another woman. Let's look at that story, Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. So Sarai, or Sarah, said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now guys, let me just ask you, all the guys here. What was he thinking? If, uh, if you've ever been married, I bet you've had this experience before. Your wife comes up, looks at you and says, do I look fat in this outfit? 
Or, or maybe you've had the experience before where she's like, hey, I know it's my birthday today, but I really know you like to golf or fish or whatever you want to do. And I want you to go and do that with all of your buddies. And let's not worry about my birthday. In both of those instances, if they say that, you know what you're supposed to say? The smartest thing that you could say? No! No, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. And Abraham had a chance to jump up in the middle of that and said, No, Sarah, I'm never going to do that. Not at all. You're the love of my life. You're the only one. I would never do that to you. I'm not going to do that. No, Sarah, I'm not doing it. And the result of his immorality was the birth of a son named Ishmael. And now all of a sudden they're all under one roof. So think about that. You've got Abraham. You've got Sarah. You've got Ishmael. And you've got the mistress, Hagar. And they're all one big happy... Well, they're all one big family. Because do you think they're happy? Do you think there's some tension in the house maybe? Just a little bit? Well, eventually, Hagar and Ishmael create so much havoc in the home that Abraham realizes that if he's going to save his marriage, he's got to kick them out of the house. So he gets rid of them. And Ishmael's descendants, do you know who they become? The Arabs. And later on, uh, God does fulfill his commitment and then... He has a son named Isaac who becomes the Jews. Now, what do you know about Arabs and Jews since that day? They are at each other's necks all the time since that moment. Well, after all of this came down, God fulfills His promise. So He comes to Abraham and He says, Hey, even though you lied, even though you committed adultery, I am going to keep my promise to you, you are going to have many descendants. You are going to be a father of many nations. And that just seemed impossible to Abraham because now in this story, Abraham is almost 100 years old and Sarah is almost 90 years old and they just can't believe this. And when God comes and says, well, now you're going to have a baby, you know what Sarah does? She laughs. She's like, ha, 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 did I hear you right or was I drinking too much wine? Did you just say that we were going to have a baby? Yes. I mean, think about it. If your husband is 100 and you're 90, you're not like, hey, I'm ready to pop one out here. Let's just have a baby. No, you're thinking like, I'm done. The promise isn't going to happen. And she laughs. And you know why she laughed? Because they realized that this was going to be the first birth in the history of the world in the geriatric ward. (laughs) This was going to be a birth in which they had to figure out, is Medicare going to take care of childbirth? They had to figure out in that moment, now when we go to restaurants, this is what's going to happen. 
We can get the children's menu and we can get the senior citizens discount all at the same time. Which is the better deal? And then they're thinking, every time we go to Walmart now, and when we buy Depends and Pampers, it's going to be in the same purchase. You know, I mean, like that's it. Folks, it just didn't make sense, so they laughed. But God kept His promise. And Sarah becomes pregnant with a baby, and they named the baby Isaac, which means laughter. Now here's the point. Abraham is proof that God can work through imperfect dads. That he can work through dads who have made mistakes. So dads, no matter who you are or what you've done or what you've said, God is a God of second chances. Jesus gave his one and only life for fathers and mothers and sons and daughters so that you would have new beginnings. So dads, it doesn't matter where your feet have been. What matters is what direction are your feet going right now? And folks, today, some of you, what you could actually do is you could say, you know what? My cup was empty. No one poured into my life. And God says, but I want to pour into your life. And I want to give you my love and my grace and my peace into your life. And you could receive it today. And he says, I'll give you living water. Water that you will never thirst again from. That will quench your thirst. And God says, it's a gift. And all you have to do is receive it. God longs to satisfy our deepest longings, and God finally says to Abraham and Sarah, hey, you know what? I know you've wanted a kid for a long time. And now it's here. And Abraham then is able to leave a legacy of faith and hope and love to Isaac because he had received the power to overcome his past mistakes. Here's the next thing. Take away from Abraham. The power of faithfulness, even when severely tested. The power to have faith, even when we are severely tested. Folks, Abraham, he loved his son. This was his only son, his promised son. He's so excited. He immensely loved him. He poured into his life, and his son meant the world to him. And then one day, God comes to Abraham and he tests him. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Say, what? That doesn't sound like a very loving God. Abraham now all of a sudden is shocked by the request, the test that God gives to him. And he goes to bed that night and he tosses and turns. And he's thinking, you know, what am I going to decide? And he wakes up the next morning and he realizes that he only has two choices. Either one, he's going to obey God, or secondly, he's going to disobey God. And he decides in that morning that 
He'll do the difficult thing. And he'll obey. Have you ever noticed that it's very easy to obey God when it's easy? When you don't have to do much, you don't have to say much, there's not much you have to... It's easy. But when God asks you to do something difficult, or you're challenged to make a change somehow in your life, then all of a sudden, what kind of faith do you have in the midst of that? When it doesn't make sense, when it's going to require a sacrifice, when it's going to cost you something. So early the next morning, Abraham gets up and he gets his son Isaac up and he says, hey, we're going to the mountain where he assumes he's going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And this particular request, it goes against every parenting instinct that Abraham has. And I've often wondered to myself, well, what was going through his mind during this? And I've never seen this before in Scripture, but Abraham's story is also talked about in Hebrews in the New Testament in chapter 11. And it gives us a very interesting insight to what Abraham was actually thinking. So in chapter 11, verse 17, we're told this. By faith, Abraham, when God had tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had told him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And then notice this next phrase. Again, I hadn't seen it before, but it's so important. Abraham reasoned that God could even what? Raise the dead. So Abraham has this test and he's saying, well, I don't know, but one of two things is going to happen. Either God's going to say, no, you don't have to do this. This is not the test. Or even if I have to come through, God is going to raise him from the dead within that moment. And Abraham was such a man of faith and he had confidence in God. And he said, okay, God, I'll go do this because I believe that you're a good God and things will happen that will be benefit to me. Now, this is a tough passage. (laughs) This may be the most difficult passage in all of the Scripture. Because it seems so much like it goes against, because there's nowhere else in Scripture that God ever tells someone to sacrifice their child. Now, I know some of you are parents, and you've had some wild children, and you've thought about sacrificing them a few times. Now, don't raise your hand for this one, okay? But uh, we know that that's what it is. But God has never asked this request any other time throughout history. And ultimately, if you remember, God doesn't make him follow through with it. He saves Isaac, and we'll talk about that in a second. Now, as I said earlier, I'm not an expert on parenting. In fact, I'm far from it. But here is what I do know. I can tell you from my own experience, both as a dad and as a son, That if you want to see your kids have faith, even when they're severely tested, then the most important person that they will see that from is who? You! And if you're a grandparent and your parents, your kids aren't doing that, then the only place they'll see it is from you as a grandfather or a grandmother. When God is first in your life, then you're able to see it in other people's lives. 
When God is first in your life, your kids, your grandkids see that and they want to follow that lead. And so you've got to have a power of faithfulness even when it's costly. Here's the last takeaway in Abraham's life. The power of faith at home. That there would be, if you're going to be a dad who has power, you need the power of faith at home. You know, the cool thing about the relationship with Isaac and Abraham is that this was not the first time that they went to go worship God. And we can see that through the scripture. They worshiped many times before. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 6 and 7. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Now, how do I know that they worshiped before? Because if you look at this, he does not ask him, Hey, Dad, what's the wood for? He doesn't say, Hey, Dad, why are we going to make a fire? What are we doing up here? Folks, obviously, they had worshipped many times before. This wasn't the first time that they had made a sacrifice to God. And let me just say, parents, and especially dads, that if you want to transmit your faith into your kid's life, they have to see examples of you opening up God's Word and reading it. And they say, oh, Dad reads the Bible. Hey, Dad, can I read along with you? Sure, here you go. If they want to understand prayer, they'll see it because you are taking time to pray to God. They'll see it because you are bringing them to church. Even when you stay up late at night watching the MMA fight and you're just like, hey, you know, I'm so tired. I don't know if I want to. No, 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 no. They get it because of you. If your kid's going to get to church, how do they get here? They don't drive a car. And some of them, we don't want them to drive a car, right? And so if they're going to get here, they get here because of you. Kids need to see you bow your head in prayer. And I've told you before, if you're like, I don't like to pray out loud, I'm a dude, I don't like to pray out loud, then write it down and every single time before a meal, just pull it out. God, thank you for this food. Amen. You could probably just memorize that, you know? I mean, you wouldn't even need... You could do that. Good meat, good God, good grace, let's eat. You know, whatever it is that you need to do, just... Just go ahead and do it. And the version Bible app, I can't tell you enough, download it on there. They have stuff for kids. You just push it. Oh, here's one on how kids should not be fearful. Okay, I'm going to read that now. You don't even have to pray. They ask a question and you're done in five minutes. There's a video, guys. It, it takes videos for two of the five minutes. And you can do this. But what's the one thing... You're going to do, whether it's your kids or your grandkids, this week that you're going to ratchet up some spiritual goal or spiritual thing in your life. Maybe it's three times this week that you pray before a meal. 
this came to light to me a few uh, weeks ago when I was teaching on prayer. If you remember, we were teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And I went home and I asked my girls, I was like, do you know the Lord's Prayer by heart? They're like, no. And so I went and I printed out the Lord's Prayer and I put it up on our kitchen. And there's another one that's there. And we're going over this as a family because I want them to memorize this prayer. And so they're doing that. And last night we're getting ready to pray. And I get the cheat sheet out so that Jordan, my oldest, can see it. And because she's a firstborn child, she turns it down like this. Because she's like, I don't need you to tell me what it is. I know it. And then you see her like going... And you know, it's kind of kind of cute. Folks, it doesn't have to be something huge, but make one commitment to do something. Well, Abraham and Isaac, they finally get up to the top of the mountain. And they're there, and you know, Isaac is wondering, like, what's going on? Dad, you're wrapping me up in this rope, and I'm on the altar, huh? Never experienced that before. And then, oh, Dad, you've got the knife and it's up there. Maybe he's going to sharpen it some way, or is this a new part of the custom? And he's just getting ready to go down when all of a sudden an angel of the Lord comes and says, Stop! Stop it! Don't do it! You passed the test, Abraham. And just to let you know that I'm so proud of you, over there is a little ram, but it's not just for you. It's the sacrifice to me because that's later on what Jesus Christ did for us. And so go ahead and get that lamb and bring it over and you sacrifice that. And they did that together and they worshiped God on top of the mountain because God had provided what they didn't have themselves. Folks, don't ever underestimate the power of a dad. The power of a dad to overcome their family of origin issues. The power of a dad to move past their mistakes. The power of a dad to actually have faithfulness even in the midst of testing. And the power of a dad to have faith at home and to show it. You know, one of my favorite stories of all time of the power of a dad took place back in 1992 at the Summer Olympics. And it's a story of a guy by the name of Derek Redman. And I'd like you to look at the side screen to watch this. So he was in the 400 meters. He was in the fifth lane, which he was the fastest one. And he pulls up. You can see it right here. He pulls up and his hamstring, all of a sudden, right there it is, it gets pulled and he has to stop the race and everyone else flies by him and finishes it and he comes out and out of the stands somebody comes and they try to keep him back but finally they can't keep him back enough and it's his dad and his dad puts his arms around him and he helps him and he says it's going to be okay son and they go to the finish line together and they finish of a son, of the power of a dad. Let me ask you this. Do any of you remember who won the 400 in 1992? Nobody knows that name. But I bet every single time, and so many people I saw them in the first celebration with tears in their eyes, They see that. 
and you're either a dad and you want to be that kind of dad all the time and it stirs something in you or there's something that was missing in your life and you wish you had a dad that was like that. And so you do. You have a heavenly father. And he wants to help you to cross the finish line. And he comes to you. And he says, because of what my son Jesus did on the cross, I have living water for you. And I want to pour into you my love and my forgiveness and my grace and second chances and I'll fill you to overflow that it goes out of you into your kids and into your grandkids and I will continue to pour more and more and more and more until it's overflowing. And when you think it's no longer enough of me to go, I'll refill it again and again and again and again. And that's the power of a dad who gives you faith and hope and love even when you don't think he's around. Let's pray. Well, today is uh, Father's Day 2018. And you could say yes to God today. You could say yes and receive Him into your life. Maybe you've been drifting away from God and you came back because mom or dad invited you to come. It'd mean a lot to dad if you came and so you're here. And you could say yes to allowing Him to fill your cup that your cup could be filled to overflowing. That you could just say, God, I need you in my life. I need your power. I need that sense of the overflow in my life. I need to overcome my family of origin issues. I need your forgiveness, Jesus, from my past mistakes. I need faithfulness because I'm going through something right now. I need some faith at home. So if you're ready to believe and surrender your one and only life to Christ, to say, yes, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your plan. I need you to overcome the burdens in my life. I need the assurance of heaven. And I invite you to pray a prayer with me, but we never pray this prayer alone. We pray it together. No one prays here alone at the jar, but we pray in unison. But today, maybe it's the day where you say, I need that in my life. I need Him to fill me up. I need you, Jesus, in my life, or I'm ready to have a recommitment to you. I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. Just repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Thank you for living water. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.